Hello and welcome to another episode of the Diet Obsessed Podcast. I am your host, Veronica Santarelli, and this is a podcast for those of us who are just obsessed with all things diet culture, and we like to discuss the details and mention it all. All right, let's get into the episode. So today is another subscriber episode for Craving More. So hello to all of my favorite people in the world, my subscribers. I appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, So today I'm going to be doing a review of, I'm going to be doing part two of the economics of thinness. I wanted to save this one for all of you behind this paywall because you deserve the premium content. You know, this was a, 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 you know, it, it was a really interesting episode and it's got a lot of controversy, some trigger warning moments. Uh, So we'll get into that review in just a second. First, I wanted to give a quick personal update, and I'm going to try to be a little bit, you know, in my effort to continue to improve this podcast, I want to put in more segments. So I have been just doing a quick personal update where I kind of lump everything into it, and then I go into my podcast review. So I'm going to, I want to have a little bit more structure in my intro with my personal update, You know I love talking about the food I eat, so that'll be my tasty treats of the week section. Uh, I also like to have a mental health check-in because, you know, we talk a lot about mental health and entrepreneurship and, you know, trials and tribulations and getting your mind back to a happy place. And I just think that that's an important thing for all of us to be aware of. We're still in May. Um, although this, this podcast, yeah, this, this will come out in May. Um, so it's mental health awareness month. So what better month to launch this new little segment that I'm going to be having? Uh, and then I'll have a diet culture media moments where I might mention something from, you know, what I've seen on TV or something that was, you know, in the media somewhere that, you know, reeks of diet culture and is worth mentioning. So I'm going to have those, you know, little segments in the intro and just to put a little bit more structure. So, so get ready for that. So first, uh, as part of my update, I did want to say I, you know, send out a little apology because um, half of you heard some ads on the last subscription episode, and that was a total mistake. So I want to keep ads out of the premium content. So for anyone that subscribes, all of you, I don't want you to listen to ads on the episodes that you're paying for. So, and what I didn't realize when I enabled ads on my free shows, which I I want to have ads on my free shows, what 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 I didn't realize is I had to manually go and check off every single episode. Um, And moving forward, I need to disable ads on premium content shows. So I got to it a little bit late. So half of you didn't hear ads last week and or the week before and half of you did. So I apologize to the ones that ended up getting an ad served to them that hopefully will not happen again. Um, So just wanted to send that out. And then as far as my mental health check in, you know, this week has actually been a pretty good week. Um, You know, the biggest 
The biggest struggle of my mental health was definitely that year of trauma that I went through where we were fighting, you know, Cureleaf, the world's largest cannabis company. And, you know, after we won and I finally got paid, my mental health has been much better since then. You know, just having received our, you know, compensation, knowing that our company will survive for another year, having it like written in the law that they were wrong and we were right and they breached our contract. So all of that really helped me. And and then, you know, we got in that 100,000 that that investor had invested in for our Boston business. And so, you know, some of you had heard, well, all of you probably heard the last trip to Boston and it didn't go well. Uh, and we, we did end up bringing back in our social equity partner to try to help. And, you know, here's, here's what I'm trying to not let affect my mental health at this point. Um, you know, he, we chose the wrong person. Like we made a mistake. This guy is the worst of the worst. He's just, oh my God. It takes every ounce of me to control my responses when he he sends us these emails that are so insulting. Like he basically says that we're totally incompetent, that we've run the business into the ground, that we, I mean, he just hurls insults at us. And we, you you can't respond to them. Like in the past, I have responded out of emotion and anger and hurled insults right back. And I'm not proud of that. <laughs> Definitely not proud of that. You know, you, you there used to be this little, I mean, I'm a fiery person that, that does like to fight back. And, and I used to kind of take a little bit of weird pride in that. And, and I've changed. I, I've learned now that reacting out of emotion and what I used to think of, oh, I'm passionate. That's just my passionate response. Well, really, it's immaturity and really it's lack of self-control. And, and what would happen is I would let myself lash out and then I would just be filled with shame over how immature I was. And so I've, I've, I've really, like just this week, he sent this, just this, this terrible email. And, I, and it's, it's interesting now that I've been really working on myself and working on my responses and working on my, like I've really noticed in my body, like how I respond to these moments where I'm just triggered. And my heart starts racing and my blood pressure goes up and I, I get hot and I actually get dizzy. Like my I get lightheaded and and I, I'm just I'm like I'm filled with rage. <laughs> and it's like it's not good. It's not a good response. And and there's been times that I've I'm like typing an email back in that state and sending emails in that in that state. That is not a good thing to do. <laughs> Learn from my mistakes, people. Do not do that. Um, and so this week, what I did was I I didn't do that. I I was like I I I mean I spent the whole day talking myself off the ledge, being like Veronica, don't just stop thinking about. It that stop stop just wasting your time thinking about him and I ended up talking to my other partner that I get along with um our CFO who's been with with us for nine years and 
you know, he's he's, you know, very level headed and very mature and very stoic. And he's kind of going to be acting as the communicator between this partner and I because he's just he's able to to he's able to say the things like I can control my responses as far as like not not going off the deep end and yelling at the like hurling insults but I can't I can't like be as nice as as Tyler can you know Tyler's like well I'm sorry you think that and and I'm sorry you had that impression and I'm sorry you're you're so stressed out that this is how you're you're acting towards us and I'm just like Tyler you're like a saint like I don't I, I don't I still have not grown to that point where I can I, I want to get to that point. Um, I did have one response, but I, I said, you know, I did say to this person, I said, you know, it's it seems that, you know, we all need to be on the same page here. I said, it doesn't help to speak disrespectfully to each other. I said, I said, I'm trying to work on that. Can you also work on that for me, please? And he never, of course, responded to that. But but I was, you know, again, I was proud of myself and my own responses. And ultimately, all of the drama and the stress and the bullshit I've had to deal with in the cannabis space with this company, I've I've let it go. I, well, I mean, I've let it go to the extent that I can. I'm like, you know what? It's going to be what's going to be. It's either going to, we have a year, we keep, we're either going to fail and go out of business or you know, maybe we can make it happen. I I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. It feels impossible because of this person that we have to work with. But you never know. You never know. Things could turn around. I'm just going to control what I can control because that's all you can do. I'm going to focus on positivity. And again, like starting this podcast, having this as my creative outlet, as a as a business that I am going to continue to build and really want to put resources behind now and want to put more uh, focus on it. You know, you're going to see some changes, continual changes as, as I go, because I'm really, because of all this other bullshit I've had to deal with in this other company, I really just, I want this to become, I want this to replace that basically eventually. And it's going to take some time and I'm, I'm willing to do the work. Um, but I like that I can control this and I don't have to have asshole partners in this. (laughs) That's a blessing. So anyway, that's my mental health check-in. I, I'm doing much better. The, that other company is still (laughs) like a disaster, but I'm, I'm letting it go out of my brain. In other personal updates, um, I, did get hit so like taped my last podcast on Thursday and I was just feeling off but it really hit me on Friday so Friday I got hit with a really bad I don't know it was it wasn't exactly a cold I mean it was definitely a cold but also had just this really bad congestion I was just get progressively worse Friday Saturday Sunday I started slightly feeling better Today's Tuesday, so I feel a lot better. But I am just a baby. Like, I hate being sick. I hate having colds. I hate not being able to breathe out of my nose. I, you know, and usually I, I usually lose my appetite when I get, um, I get sick. And I'm usually just like drinking lots of fluids. But somehow I managed to, even though I couldn't really taste much, I still managed to eat like two packages of brownies 
uh, and some pizza while I was <laughs> sick. I did I did have some healthy things. Like I did have like my healthy protein shake that I love. And I so I did have some balance. But I just, you know, I didn't work out. I just laid in my bed. I took a couple days off. I called out sick, which I never do um, to my other job. But, you know, I'm accruing sick time and you can't, you can't like just get paid out on sick time. So I'm like, you know what? I can't sit here and talk to people for hours and sneeze in their face. I tried it on Saturday. I went in for a couple hours and I fell off my chair as I had a coughing fit and a sneezing fit. This guy that I was interviewing was like, did you just fall off your chair? I'm like, because I, I was sitting on an exercise ball instead of a chair um, because I just, it's better for my back and it could, you know, gets my core a little bit. I literally just fell right off of it in the middle of interviewing this guy. So it was funny. It was it was a little, um, you know, comedy moment. But uh, I was like, I cannot do this. Like it's when I'm sick, I can I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to I can't I don't have a personality. Um, so I ended up taking a break from inhaling my cannabis. I ended up using this lemon one to one tincture. That actually was quite nice. I, I had a nice experience with it. And it was good to give my lungs a break that they desperately needed. So it did make me aware of how kind of dependent on inhalation I am and how how I really do want to cut back on that and um, just have a little bit more moderation with that. Uh, but the tincture worked really, really well. And then my final little section in my personal update is my tasty treats of the week. So really that's going to come into effect over this next weekend because we are having a Memorial Day weekend party. And I'm excited. I'm, I'm actually bringing together a bunch of different groups for this. So, you know, of course, all the friends that I've made through Chad are, are coming um, I've got my two best BFF girlfriends. Um, I've got some of my healthcare friends that I met, you know, networking in the healthcare space for cannabis. And then I have um, some people from my other sales job that are coming. So I think everybody will get along though. I'm, I'm excited to host this party and, you know, we're finally in a better space where we can, you know, do it a little bit nicer. So again, like, it's I don't I don't take anything for granted now that I have money again. It's like I bought these little like really pretty glass carafes so that I can, you know, do some fresh squeezed grapefruit juice and some fresh squeezed orange juice and some fresh squeezed tangelo juice. And I got these little signs. They're like these little signs that hang from this little rope and you put it around the carafe and you can write in this like it's like a little mini chalkboard, basically, but it's really pretty. And you could write in this, like, it looks like chalk, but it, you, it's like a pen that you can erase it with. And um, so you can, like, write these little signs and and just that little detail. I was, like, so excited that I could, you know, I'm now in a position where I can afford to get these just little things that are will make the party just more special. Um, I bought a rice cooker so I could make this, you know, I want to make um, some rice for rice bowls because, okay, so here's what we're serving. So we're going to do, we're going to do tacos just because we're having a lot of people. So, um, you know, we want, I want it to be the last time we did a Memorial Day weekend party. 
I made the mistake of having a bunch of stuff that I had to cook when people arrived. And so like there were tons of burgers and I had all these ears of corn because I did want to, I think I wanted, I don't know if I was going to make Mexican street corn. I think I was going to, but, or at least corn on the cob. And I I got so drunk at that last party that I didn't even make anything. I didn't like, well, I start, it started out okay, but then literally like one of our guests, we like made him cook the burgers. It was, was, anyway, we don't want that to happen this time. So we're going to, I, everything is going to be basically done by the time people arrive. So we're going to do tacos and um, so we'll make turkey meat and uh, black beans. So I'll make some homemade black beans. I got this good recipe for that. And then I got this good recipe for like how to like knock off the chipotle rice. So I got a rice cooker so that I could it could come out perfect because I'm not great at cooking rice. It always sticks to the bottom of the pan or the pot. So I finally, you know, gave in and bought a rice cooker, which I was super excited about. Um, And then I'm making homemade guacamole for the first time, which seems like it should be pretty easy. Uh, And I'm excited to try making that. I am going to make this Mexican street corn salad. So I'm going to prep the corn the night before. So I'll cook it and chop it off the cob the night before. That way it's like ready to go. It's chilled. And now here's my dilemma. Okay. The recipe does call for mayo. And I hate mayo. So I'm trying to decide, should I just put extra cotija cheese? Should I substitute Greek yogurt? Should I suck it up and use mayo? I don't know. I don't know. I could use vegan mayo, but I don't really want to use anything. I don't want to, I don't want it to be taste off, but I also, I want to like it myself and I hate mayo. So I'm still debating what I'm going to do there. But I think it'll still taste good without the mayo. I mean, I know people love mayo, most people, but I think it'll still taste delicious without it. So maybe maybe I'll put a little bit of like oil or something. I don't know. What do you think? Anyway, making that. And then I am going to make um, a bunch of desserts, like just like little stuff like pick it you know, stuff that you can pick at. I'm going to make some Rice Krispie treats, some Fruity Pebble treats, and some brownies. And then I'm going to have this like Mediterranean platter. So it'll be like hummus and tabbouleh and uh, like lots of fresh cut veggies and some pita chips and so that'll be like for anybody that wants to, you know, have some vegetables and eat a little bit lighter. And then I'm also going to do a charcuterie tray. So some meat, some cheeses, some crackers, maybe some olives, maybe some nuts, maybe a little bit of fruit. I'm deciding if I want to get um, watermelon and pineapple spears. I don't know. We'll see. But but that's that's going to be the spread. We got hard uh, hard iced tea, hard seltzer. We have mixed drinks. We have wine. We have beer. We have all kinds of games to play. So it should be it should be a really good time. Um, I'm just you know I'm excited to have people over. I'm excited to entertain, and you know I just I I do love having people over, and that's that's one of the reasons that we put so much 
effort into this house to to make it really comfortable and all the seating out in the yard. There's just tons of little spots that are shaded where people can relax and chill. The biggest thing that's bothering me now is our pool filter, the stupid pool filter. I don't understand what we need to do with this thing. Like we've already replaced it and it just like, it doesn't seem to work. It just shoots like sediment to the bottom of the pool. So the pool looks dirty, just like these like dirt patches all along the bottom. It's so annoying. So I don't know. Chad's supposed to be getting someone out here to hopefully fix it, but I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, that's my personal update. And then before we get into the podcast episode, um, I did want to touch on this diet culture media moment that I, so I was in bed, obviously being sick, recovering, watching a lot of brainless TV, and I came across this show called Dubai Bling. It's the most vapid, superficial show ever. Uh, wildly entertaining. I mean, you know, you have to read the subtitles, so I didn't really watch it that long. But, um, you know, I had, to, I had to see what it was all about. And there was this one couple that, either this, this little moment stood out to me that I wanted to share. So it's this really beautiful woman who is very high maintenance. Like she seems just, she doesn't seem like a very kind person. Uh, she's, she's like one of those women that just like, I want this and I want that. And she's just very demanding and only the finest things. And she, and her poor husband, she has this husband that is, so they're Indian and they, so they're, but they're from like this very affluent family from India. Now they live in Dubai and she is just, you can tell he like dotes on her and he just wants to make her happy. And he's like very kind of subservient to her. And she just like rules the house and rules with an iron fist. You can tell. And she, and he is, he's, you know, he's in a, a slightly larger body, handsome guy, uh, but, you know, he's he's in a slightly larger body and he, um, you know, so so the scene that st- stuck out to me that I want to mention is they're sitting at dinner and they're being served by the chef and she he starts being served. He's you know, the, the chef is serving him rice and she's like, I thought you were off carbs. And he he just immediately looks embarrassed, like he wants the floor to just swallow him up. And he's like, it's fine. And she just gets annoyed. She's like, Farhad. And, you know, that's his name. She's like, Farhad. And like, like disappointed. And, and then, so then she addresses the server. And she's like, she's like, Harish, I thought, she's like, or the, the chef, she's like, Harish, I thought we said no rice for Farhad. And and he just keeps serving the husband and she's just staring in disbelief that he's just ignoring her and just serving him this rice. She's like, this is like when he puts sugar in your tea and we tell him not to. And and her husband's like, it's OK. It's OK. He's just trying to, like, keep the peace and, like, not bring attention to the situation that's happening. And um, and she just looks incredulous. She's just like, and then then it shows her later in a confessional saying, that chef embarrassed me. She's like, he follows he follows him around like he's his wife. She's like, I don't even do that. 
and then then they then they move on to another topic of like wanting to have a baby and he he's pressuring her to want to have another baby she wants to wait because she gained 25 kilos with the last pregnancy and she wants to look at other options and he's he's frustrated because he's like she just wants to fit into her clothes and she can be a brat I just I thought it was worth commenting on this because it was a wife, a woman coming after a man for being overweight and for eating too much. And at the end of the day, that never like that is the worst thing that she can do to him. Like if she really wants him to eat less or light, you know, eat, you know, lose weight or the the it's making comments like that, pointing it out in public, you know, embarrassing him in front of servants, all that is going to do is make him go and closet eat more and release stress homo- hormones that cause weight gain. You know, it's like the, it's the exact opposite, you know, and and look, there's times that I, I want my boyfriend to to not eat you know, all the candy and, and some of the processed stuff that he eats, but he's going to do what he's going to do. And I'm not going to say a word because it's his life. It's his body. It's his health. And at the end of the day, like, it's not my place to tell him what to do. Anybody that wants to live a healthier life or eat more in a more nutritious manner, it has to come from within. It has to be something that they want to do for themselves. And the the significant other saying something, especially on live TV on a national stage, how embarrassing for that poor guy. I mean, I I really felt for him in that moment, um, and I just thought it was something that you might be interested too. So if you if you want to lose some brain cells, go check out Dubai Bling. I think it was the first episode, so you don't have to look too long to to see it. All right, so now let's get into the review of Money Talk podcast from The Economist. And this specific episode was called The Economics of Thinness. And this actually aired back in January 5th. I'm shocked that none of the other podcasts that I listened to picked up on it because it was a very controversial episode. And well, I I won't say that none of them did. I mean, that's exactly what Diet Starts Tomorrow commented on on their premium show last um, two weeks ago, which is what I reviewed on my last premium show. So so somebody did mention it. That's how I heard about it, obviously. But um, so let me just read the synopsis from this, the blurb that they had on this on this episode. So Across the rich world, there is a negative relationship between incomes and weight as measured by body mass index. The richer people are, the thinner they tend to be. But separate the data the data by gender and a startling gap appears. Rich women are much thinner than poorer ones. But rich men and poor men are just as likely to be overweight or obese. On this week's podcast, host Alice Fullwood and Thomas Lee Devlin examine why it may be rational, in economic terms, for ambitious women to pursue thinness. 
John Cawley of Cornell University explains his research that suggests overweight women have lower salaries than their thinner peers. We examine the legacy of Helen Gurley Brown, the outspoken former editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan Magazine, who championed dieting to get ahead, and Jennifer Chenal, a law professor at Vanderbilt University, considers potential solutions to weight-based discrimination. Okay, so so Alice, now the, the reason that this episode took a long time to review is Alice has this beautiful British accent and she speaks very quickly and she's there's a lot that she says in a in a short sentence. So it, it I had to re- constantly rewind and I I wanted to do justice to this review and take very accurate notes. So this the, so when this came out, you know, it starts out with you hear Alice start talking about how it's January. You know, this is the time of year when everybody starts thinking about losing weight. There's a lot of commercials. Everybody feels the pressure. However, women specifically feel it more and ads are geared towards them. And this trend goes back for decades. And so you hear this, you know, litany of, you know, old commercials and you can, and a lot of them are geared towards women. And, and then they talk about how there's a lot of, so, a lot of media images and social messages that encourage weight loss that are critiqued, but the forces that encourage women to lose weight may be more powerful than we know. And so you hear this news lady come on saying women over 25 pounds, women that are 25 pounds overweight are likely to make an average of $16,000 less per year than a woman of average weight. However, a man that is 25 pounds overweight overweight will make $8,000 more. And, you know, you hear this lady's like, that's depressing. And so, you know, so then you hear this alarm bell go off. I mean, this is a this is a highly produced show. Um, it's it's a very it's a good episode. And so in this episode, they discuss, you know, does weight really interfere with women's wages? Uh, and then also how women respond to these economic incentives. And they'll they'll talk about Helen Gurley Brown, who was the former editor of um, Cosmo Radio, and how she talked about how how successful, how to be successful and thin like she is. And then finally, they'll touch on the legalities around weight-based discrimination. And Alice starts with a trigger warning. She's like, you know, we're going to be talking about weight and weight loss here. So, and this is this is a trigger warning to all of you too. If if you're triggered by this, and I doubt you'd be subscribing right now if you were, but um, this 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 is this. There's some shocking things in this episode for sure. Um, so she so now Alice typically talks about banking. But she and economics, but she wanted to write about this because she's recently read a few things. She said that framed women's weight in an economic context. And when she got to New York in 2019 and she read this book called Bonfire of the Vanities. I love that book, by the way. It's a great movie. It's a great book. If you haven't watched it or read it, go immediately. It's so, so, so good. It has Tom Hanks in it. So good. Um, anyway, 
so when she, so in in that book it talked about wealthy women on the Upper East Side as social x-rays because they were unbelievably thin. And then in this other article that was written by this woman, Gia Tontino, Gia Tontino, called Always Be Optimizing. And she described going to fancy exercise classes like bar classes as women making an investment in the way they look. And then she she touches on, you know, Helen Gurley Brown, the former editor of Cosmopolitan magazine. Um, they saw a gap of Amer- of America, and there was an inverse relationship with weight. Oh, they saw a graph of America, and there was an inverse relationship between weight and income. The richer, the thinner. And if you broke them up into genders, it was all driven by women. The richer a woman was, the thinner they were, but not so with men. And Thomas, who's the other host, he's like, well, how did they define all of this? And Alice said they use the body mass index as a baseline, which is a ratio based on height and weight. And it spits out this number somewhere between 18 and 35. And doctors use this to bracket four types. So underweight is below 18 on the BMI scale. A normal range is between 18 to 25. Overweight would be over 25 on the BMI scale. And then obese would be considered over 30. And she said she looked at how, looked at the chart she looked at showed the amount of people in each income category and how many were obese. And in America... 45% of women in the bottom third of the income distribution were obese, and just 30% in the top one-third are obese. So there's significantly more people, more women in the bottom third of income distribution that are obese. For men, one-third in the lowest and one-third in the highest income as well were obese. So there's no real disparity for men. And they said this holds true across the developed and richest countries. In France, for example, one-fifth of women in the poorest 20% of the population are obese, and only 8% of those in the top richest 20% are. For men, the split is 13% to 11%. Also in Korea, in rich Asian countries, 30%, 37% in the lowest income bracket are obese, whereas 22% in the top are obese. Um, and, then in, and, and then also in Korea, 28% to 40% of the rich men in, sorry, the, for men, 28 to 40% of rich men are obese in Korea. So why is this happening for women specifically? That's what Thomas asks. You know, across the board in all of these, all of this data that was pulled, it seems that specifically for women, that in the poor income distribution, there's a much higher percent that's more obese. And in the, the richer income distribution, that more women despairing are, are, are thin. And so Thomas is like, why is this specifically happening for women? 
And Alice is like, I've always been told poverty is an explanation for obesity. You know, you don't have as much time to work out. It's difficult to eat as well and have healthy habits. But if it's explained by poverty, it should be the same between men and women. And then she spoke to the author of the paper about the link between obesity and wages. So then she brought in John, who who did this research. And what he said is he found it to be true that obese women make less money. He said the point of his paper that he published was to discover if it was causal, meaning does weight actually lower wages for women? Or is the explanation due to unobserved characteristics that may differ between people with or without obesity? Or could it be reverse causality, where being in poverty could make you gain weight? He said the paper took into account many variables and taking advantage of the natural experiment of the heritability of weight, meaning the genetic component of weight, And the conclusion of the paper is that weight lowers wages, but only for white women and not for black or Hispanic women and not for men. So that was, you know, stepping stepping out of this podcast review for a second. That's, I think, one of the more shocking things to me is that it's, you know, when it when it comes to gender and it comes to race, it's specifically white women that face the most discrimination when it comes to weight and wages. And so Alice was like, well, why is it that it only affects income for white females and their wages when it comes to weight? And Thomas was like, yeah, you'd think it would apply to all the groups. And what we do know is that fat cells are part of the endocrine system and can secrete hormones that can damage our health. So it could be that being heavier can affect or impair your health and can create absences at work. And in other work I've done, we've seen that obesity doubles the number of work days that people miss for health reasons. But one complication to that being, cor- being a correct explanation is that wages start dropping with weight at a relatively low BMI. He said, you don't see a relationship being consistent with health being the issue. Even when people are quite healthy in terms of weight, their wages are dropping as they get heavier. So physical weight doesn't seem to be the only reason. He said it could be straight bias, the taste for discrimination. He said there was a researcher in Scandinavia that sent applications where he manipulated the photos to make heavier versions of their photos. He said it's in that country, it's typical to add photos. He said, and he found the heavier pictures lowered their chances of getting a call back. So employers may judge people based on appearance, but then... Why only white women and not men or black or Hispanic women? And he said, there there have been sociological studies showing that the self-esteem of white females is more affected by weight than black or Hispanic females. And, And Alice said, in the context of what you describe, what you've described, it sounds like being thin really does does help women become richer. Do you think that's the right way to think about that? And 
Thomas was, and I'm sorry, John was like, well, I think it depends on whether the issue is related to physical or mental health or bias. He's like, you wouldn't want to make it seem that it's incumbent upon women to respond to bias by accommodating it or changing their behavior to meet societal explanations, expectations that are otherwise not in their interest. But I think it matters in that regard. I think another possible explanation for why there's a gender difference in weight and wages, you know, typically these studies use a measure of weight or fatness called the body mass index, which actually doesn't measure how fat you are. It just says, what is your weight based on your height? So it's this very noisy measure if fatness of fatness because it doesn't take into account body composition, like muscle mass. So, um, and that's always been a, an issue with the, with the BMI, with the body mass index. Um, but Alice then said, well, obviously obesity has risen quite a bit since the 1980s. And your paper now is decades old. So, you know, over the time that's passed, you know, what, what's your assessment on how the penalties for gaining weight, you know, how have they changed over time? And John said, you know, you'd think that we've, we'd, because we've seen a growth in obesity, that we may have also seen a growth in acceptance. He's like, because we're now at 41.9% of Americans that are clinically obese. And now that all of these rates, all of these rates, all of these rates, extreme obesity have more than doubled. He said, and now that all of the rates of extreme obesity have doubled, you'd think that the acceptance in society would be greater and there would be less bias. And, you know, certainly we have made some strides, but it's hard to, it's hard to get large samples over time. He's like, but there, there was a paper stating penalties have gone down. He's like, he said there was a paper stating that penalties have not gone down and actually may have increased. He said, so the challenge is the sample's older, so, you know, not sure what the exact effect is, but nothing has really shown that the penalties for obesity have gone down despite that the growth rate for obesity has increased. So so then it gets back to the other male host, so Thomas. He said, so Alice, startling evidence that women who aren't thin are paid less. He's like, it sounds like The Economist has discovered that there really is some weight discrimination going on here. And Alice was like, yeah, it's it's important to dive into the evidence. She said, I wanted to get the perspective of women and how they think about prospects in the workplace when it comes to their weight. And in particular, a person who comes to mind is a woman by the name of Helen Gurley Brown. She was the former editor of Cosmopolitan Magazine. She was very successful. And she was also very outspoken about how she dieted and what she ate. So then Alice gives the background of Helen Gurley Brown. She said she transformed Cosmopolitan Magazine from almost getting canceled to the best-selling newsstand magazine. Before becoming the editor of Cosmo for 30 years, she wrote Sex and the Single Girl, and it caused quite the stir. 
The Hearst Corporation, who owned Cosmo, made a documentary in 2009, which included a clip of her of her from 1965 being interviewed. And in, and it was a man interviewing her and just shocked at her talking about staying in on a Saturday night, pulling down the shades and dancing naked by by yourself for a few hours. Like that's what she wrote about. And of course, all these conservative, puritanical minded men are like, well, that's just outrageous. And you're going to get sent to the loony bin. And she's just like, well, I don't really understand what's so shocking about that. Um, so she ended up, uh, this book that she wrote, Sex and the Single Girl, she ended up sell- selling two million copies in only three weeks. She spoke plainly about what she believed and felt strong about what people needed to do to get ahead. And that did include staying thin. So this ended up drawing the attention of a woman by the name of Laura Shapiro, who's a culinary historian, which sounds like a really fascinating job. I'm, I'm kind of interested in learning more about that job. But she wrote a book called What She Ate. I think I need to go buy this book. But so she wrote this book called What She Ate, which is a book about famous women throughout history and their diets. And she was interviewed on PBS where she broke down Helen's approach for how to be like her, how to be successful. And to, to, to be like her, what was very important is that you stayed thin. And Having It All was Helen's second book. In 1982, she published it. And in it, she wrote how she believed that having a certain look was essential to achieving success in life. In the chapter on diet, she said the most basic thing about your job is how you look and feel. It's unthinkable that a woman who is focused on wanting it all would allow herself to to become plump or fat. Advised women to weigh, and she also advised women to weigh themselves daily. Just, she said, this is what Helen Gurley Brown said. She said, just accept that dieting is hell and get over it. And Laura Shapiro, the PBS lady, um, in being interviewed, said that this advice went into magazines and books. There would be lots of stories about food in her writing. She's like, you know, there'd be a classy little buffet dinner to make for friends. But then she said that the Cosmo was also filled with all these very strange stories about diet pills and diet foods that were packed with these chemical sweeteners. And she actually said, and this is a, this is one of the reasons I didn't want to put this episode on like the open free thing. She, this is what Helen Gurley Brown said. Trigger warning. She said, should I think women need to have a touch of anorexia to be truly beautiful? And with that one word tossed around as if she had done so much damage as many fashion, so this this woman that's telling this about her, this Laura Shapiro who wrote about her, said that she's that that with her statements that that Helen Gurley Brown made about the the need to be anorexic to be thin to be beautiful, that your look, you know, being thin and and maintaining thinness and having this specific look really did a lot of damage to women's psyches, much more damage than all the fashion modeling and Hollywood scenes all brought together. 
Um, and, you know, I, I will say like this just I, I just want to say this right now before I forget about it. But when you go back to why the hypothesis of why white women specifically are so caught up in this and, and discriminate against other women for being overweight and why we get discriminated the most, a lot of it probably ties back to women like Helen Gurley Brown, who, you know, when you think about Cosmopolitan Magazine was probably a, a the, the what was featured in there was probably the role model for white women, mostly. And I'm sure there were women of color, too, that 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 saw this, that were immersed in this, that also used Cosmopolitan as like the epitome of like how to be as a woman, how to give the right blow job. And remember that? that those used to be like how to please your man. Like all those things used to be like on the front of Cosmo before it got more politically correct. How to lose 20 pounds for summer, how to get that summer body, you know, all those things were so prevalent in Cosmo. Now you see it a little bit more, you know, body positive and and things like that. But, you know, if you think about, obviously, because of the, the privilege that white people have had throughout history, and being that white people are just more affluent because of the privileges we've had over, you know, the hundreds of years that humans have been in existence... Um, you know, we have more money to buy these magazines, to the luxury to think about this shit, right? Like, there's a lot of people that are minorities or of color that are, you know, too focused on surviving and not being dis- discriminated against for the color of their skin than to think so much, be caught so much in the stupid weight discussion, right? And I think, you know, white women have had the luxury of being able to to spend a lot of time thinking about this because we've had more money. We've had the ability to buy these magazines and think about, you know, our look and how to please our men and all this patriarchal bullshit that's been driven into our brains. But it is a dilemma because, you know, there are economic advantages too. So it goes back to what I said in the past where, yeah, I do want to maintain my weight. Yeah, I do want to be treated well in society. Yeah, I do. So am I doing that because of this discrimination factor and I don't want to be discriminated against? And am I just giving in to the patriarchy and to what society demands of me? I mean, it's so complicated, right? Like where does it, where, what came first, the chicken or the egg? So... Anyway, it's all fascinating to discuss. So getting back to the podcast review, Alice said, diet advice like this was rampant in the 70s and 80s. Um, She said, uh, you know, the host believes one big difference, uh, Alice believes that one big difference in Helen is that Helen, okay, sorry, sometimes my notes are like the host said, so it's Alice. Um, But she's basically saying that like this isn't this isn't new right when when helen was in this era right in this era of time you know the 1980s especially that's when diet culture was like at its height and and diet advice like this was was all over the place but the difference and and the distinction that alice the host of this podcast wants to point out is that helen framed this advice as economic advice, right? How to make more money, 
And that's what's fascinating to this author, because this is all about money. This podcast is all about economics and money and how to make more money and how to get ahead. So, you know, the framework that Helen put there is that thinness as a building block for success. And she ended up dying in 2012 at age 90. And she left behind a very complex legacy. She was a radical force, was a push forward for women's liberation. But her advice on how women should diet may have perpetuated the beauty standards that women are expected to measure up to and the economic returns they may receive from doing so. Overall, she saw herself as a champion for women. And you, you hear her on this being interviewed by CNN And it was in 1996, and she was being asked, are you a feminist? And you hear her say, oh, I am a devout feminist. You know, you can be sexual. You can be a sexual object. You can be sexy and successful. But God help you if you're not. You know, you can still be a feminist. It's about wanting the best for both sexes. You know, but here she is basically being like, but in order to have relevance as a woman, you have to be a sexual object. You know, so she's conflating this idea of femininity, feminism, with this idea of having a certain look, which... You know, in one stance, Helen Gurley Brown did a lot for for women and for feminism, but also put out a lot of messages that were probably pretty harmful um, and and clearly perpetuated this economic disadvantage that um, women in a large body will have to deal with. So Thomas, the host, was like, wow, you know, this was very influential You know, it definitely shapes things. He said, so how have things changed? And Alice said, you know, things have definitely shifted over the past few decades. You know, even just since she died in 2012, there's been this body positivity movement, the fat acceptance movement. She's like, you know, if you read Cosmo today, you'll find way more articles about loving your body rather than a diet consisting of eggs and wine. So she's like, she's just one woman, but she, she, she you know, she's very influential And one reason she's compelling is that she perceived her own thinness as an economic advantage, which is actually tragic for others who face discrimination because the penalties for not being thin are really terrible. The pressure for people to arrange their eating habits around all of this is quite honestly depressing. And... And so let's move on to the next topic, she, she said, where there may be some sort of solution here coming from a legal expert by the name of Jennifer Schinnell, who's a law professor at Vanderbilt University. And Alice said, you know, to start, can you lay out the magnitude of the weight penalty, uh, you know, for being overweight or obese that women might face? And Jennifer said that, you know, if we think about white women versus white men, which is our baseline population. What happens with women once they reach a a weight where they are classified as being overweight, we see the penalty begin. And from her study from years ago shows that once women uh, are five to six percent in our, our, once they reach that, once they reach a weight that they're classified as overweight, five to six percent of them are going to be affected. 
by discrimination of some sort. Once, once women reach what is considered obese, then their penalty, the, the amount of people penalized, rises to 10 to 12 percent. Then as women move up to the classification of severe or morbidly obese, which is a BMI of 40 or more, it's like we see the penalty for women go up 18 to 20 percent are penalized. And so that is a huge penalty. It's like in contrast for men, in overweight men, if anything, we see them rewarded. We don't see a weight penalty at all. Nor for obese men, 30 to 40 percent in the B and 30 to 40 BMI. She's like really only morbidly obese men face penalties, and it's only about a third as much as women. And then also other research in America shows thinner women are more likely to marry a successful guy. So not only are thin women more successful at work, they are more likely to marry someone who is also successful in the labor market. It completely supports this unhealthy push we see in the marketplace for women to be as thin as possible. And, you know, this just, this just, just jogs this memory when, when I was on the dating apps and I was dating, you know, I was dating a bunch of guys trying to find my Chad (laughs) and, um, and I, I went on a couple dates with this guy who was in finance and I, I kind of knew right away I didn't necessarily want to be with a guy in finance. I don't, don't ask me why I just didn't like that as a career field for a guy that I dated. But anyway, um, he said something to me that was so fat phobic and so he said that his dad taught him this is how it happens it like gets passed down from the generations right white man to white man how how to discriminate against white women for their for their weight he said you want to look at a woman's upper arm and it's if her upper arm is a certain thickness you want to stay away like it's it's the upper arm if it's thin then that's a woman that would be marriage material that's basically any it not it's not verbatim what he what he said but it's basically how you can tell if a woman is going to maintain a thin body through the majority of life or whether she's going to like start gaining weight as soon as you marry her or down the line as as you're with her for an extended period of time. And how awful is that? Like at the and 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 fucked up me. I'm flattered by this. I'm like, "Oh, well, I fit into the category that's acceptable to him." Like, "Uh, my just, you know, it's this is though what we're kind of trained to to think as as women in this society. It's so messed up. I'm not a sh- I'm not I'm not proud of that. I'm ashamed that 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 was a source of pride for me. But but how how awful. I mean, all of this all it all fits into the same cycle of fat phobia and diet culture and expectations of women over men. It's it's crazy. Anyway. So so then Alice said, you also saw occupational differences, correct? She's asking this woman, Jennifer. And Jennifer said, yes. She said, women in the higher weight categories 
are less likely to have jobs where they interface with the public or clients. The issue with this is that, that those are typically the higher paying jobs. She said, on the flip side, jobs that require heavy physical labor, those are typically lower paying. She said, it seems overweight women are the ones confined to those jobs, or often the ones that are confined to those jobs. And so Alice said, well, you're a lawyer. She said, what about discrimination towards obesity? Is it the same as other protected classes? And Jennifer said, in the U.S., at the federal level, weight is not a protected characteristic. So it's legal for an employer to discriminate based on weight. This is so messed up. She didn't actually say that. That's my comment. Uh, she said, there are two paths if, of legal recourse. She said, if an employer discriminates against specifically a female employee, that does have implications under Title VII which comes from the 1964 Civil Rights Act. It falls under something called sex plus weight discrimination. It's illegal for an employer to treat weight and women differently from weight and men. She said this has been successfully proven in the air, in the airline context. There were, so apparently like back in the day, this is not surprising at all, <laughs> there were different policies for, for women and men that worked in the airlines. And apparently, you know, there were all these different rules for women, you know, that women had to be of a certain weight in order to keep their jobs being a, a flight attendant. And um, and so the women ended up bringing a lawsuit against the airline and won. They're like, it's not fair for us to have to maintain a certain weight if men don't have to maintain a certain weight. And so most employers don't have this stuff written down. You know, that's like back in the day, like you know, before America became woke. Um, but she's like, it's just implicit. She's like, weight loss. Oh, um, you know, it's just a lot of employers now don't have that stuff written down. But there are kind of implied rules that, that aren't necessarily spoken. But that discrimination absolutely still happens. Um, now, when I used to work in the weight loss industry, the woman that hired me was in a very large body. And we, we didn't, dis- that company didn't discriminate. Like that company hired overweight women. They, but they, I think they, what they hoped was that they would do the program, lose weight on the program, and then be able to like sell the hell out of it. You know, and some of the most successful women in the entire country, a lot of the women that won cars and won the big trips, and they were all, you know, women in larger bodies. And, you know, I think in some some respects, I think a lot of women, you know, felt that they could relate, you know, and and that they would understand where their clients were coming from. But Ellie Weight Loss did say one of the things that they did make sure to put out there was that one of the interview questions they asked was, how do you feel about working for an image-based company? And, and, and what they mean by that is like, you're going to be judged by the way that you look and you need to come in polished and presentable. Like we had to wear a suit every day to go into work. We had to dress really nicely and put makeup on and look nice. It, didn't necessarily matter what our weight was as long as we had a polished, presentable look because 
they knew that we were going to be judged based on our looks and that we're working around a lot of judgmental women. And so that was kind of their PC way of being like, hey, how do you feel about this? This is the environment that that we're building here. Uh, This is the culture that we're building. You have to look good. So that's how they kind of dealt with that. Um, But then getting back to this podcast review, um, you know, they – they just talked about how, you know, most most employers don't have specific, you know, rules and policies that discriminate against overweight people, right? It's just, in, in sometimes it's just implied or it just happens through bias. Um, and so Alice said, why don't you think weight discrimination is protected? She said, is it because society judges it as being within our control? Do you think this? Do you think this should be dealt with? And Jennifer said, traditionally, the characterization of protected classes are not mutable, meaning they are unlikely to change. That is what makes something protected, like race, for example. You can't change your race, so it becomes a protected class. While others seem seem weight as something that can be changed. The diet industry wants us to believe this, but the science is very questionable especially when it comes to long-term sustained weight loss. And yet every day, the public continues to have this strong perception that you can lose weight at any time if you just work hard enough and have the willpower. And that's where that morality towards weight loss comes from. So Alice said, so then they get back to the main host. And she said, Tom, are you surprised by all this? And Tom said, well... This has been written about for a while. He said, in terms of the economic issues that come into play, he said where poor people are eating more processed food, have less access to fresh vegetables, etc. He said, but the evidence shows that the economic differences in income, specifically between men and women, were pretty shocking. He said that does show that the causation, in part, flows from weight level, from weight level to income, not the other way around. And Alice said, yeah, you know, before I looked into this, I assumed that the relationship ran from income to weight rather than the other way. And Thomas said, I think the conclusion is a disturbing conclusion that women in the workplace workforce are discriminated against on the basis of their weight in a way that men just aren't. And the fact that women still have to contend with unrealistic expectations around their appearance isn't new. And it's taking a toll on mental health. But what's new to me is how this truly does carry over into the economic realm. So, so Alice, you know, what are your big takeaways, he asked. And Alice said, you know, I've been thinking about it for a long time. So the thing that fascinates me is the chicken and egg nature of this discussion. You know, maybe there are societal, societal expectations for women about how women should look and how much they should weigh. And these drive the economic incentives, which then loop around and reinforce the societal. So it's, it's difficult to untangle, but it's, it's all very fascinating. Um, and she, you know, to end things, she received a letter from a woman who is a professor. And this woman wrote to her, she's an older lady, and she said in this letter, she said, women who were committed to maintaining the perfect slender figure over the vast many decades 
are now at an age where they have osteoporosis and they are learning that a lifetime of exercise and disciplined eating, where they tried to eat no fat, no pizza, no ice cream or desserts, has contributed to weak bones. Our once attitude of superiority is fading quickly as we face this harsh reality. We thought thin was powerful, healthy, beautiful. Thin gave us control, power, socially and politically. But now we're in our 60s, and we have the bone health of 80-year-olds. We could have eaten the pizza. <laughs> so that I, I think that that's a really great way to end. And I, I, okay, that also speaks to balance, right? It's, it's all about, I think, having balance because I think you should eat the ice cream and eat the delicious pizza and also eat nutrient dense things and move your body because strength training also increases bone density. And obviously, there's so much more that we have the luxury of knowing now in society. I mean, these poor people, I mean, why do we have so much dementia right now? Women used to be prescribed Valium all the time, like, you know, to calm calm nerves. And we were told to diet and that we should eat all these chemicals to reduce sugar and fat and just all this bullshit that was fed to us. And we, you know, women over many decades have, you know, we've been smoking cigarettes because the the world told us that they weren't bad for us for a very long time. And, you know, we should take these drugs because they'll calm our nerves and eat these artificial sweeteners because we won't get fat. And, you know, and look where a lot of people are now, you know, to, to, to speak to where this woman, what, what this woman just said, you know, brittle bones and, you know, poor health due to all these diet fads that, that we followed. So, so now that we have the knowledge and, you know, we, we do have a lot of hacks, like, you know, weight loss and weight maintenance hacks. We know about proper nutrition. And now we have the semaglutides, you know, but but who knows what that'll bring and, and what the repercussions down the line might be with the whole Ozempic craze. I don't know. It's all fascinating to talk about, but but that's the review. I mean, I, I think that, again, I, I wanted to do this behind the, the paywall, mainly for the Helen Gurley Brown anorexic comment and the fact that it's like this this white women discrimination factor that it's just it's it's just really crazy and and fascinating and depressing a little bit but I don't know anyway if you have any thoughts on this please feel free to dm me I love 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 hearing from my listeners thank you to my new subscribers that have just joined I feel honored that you love my content so uh, please uh, rate review and subs- and well you already subscribe but uh, please rate and review this episode uh, that just means leaving some stars leaving a comment it really means so much if you feel so inclined please share this podcast with anybody that you think would enjoy it, share it on your social media. All of it makes a huge, huge difference. Um, I have more great episodes coming up. I am going to be doing some stuff from Maria Menunos. There's been a bunch of Taylor Strucker, um, really interesting episodes talking about her journey with Ozempic. So I kind of want to pull together a bunch of the information that she's mentioned on like 
like six different podcasts and put them maybe into one. I might do that next week. Um, But lots of good stuff coming. So until we meet again, I hope all of you have a very balanced week.